0: Thank you to all the pastors and just for the opportunity to be able to preach the word to you guys this morning. It's, it's such an honor to be able to come before you all and share what God has been putting on my heart for the past couple of weeks. I will fully admit that this is not a topic that I am great in myself and it convicted me for the past month. So I hope that you all enjoy and that God really speaks to you this morning. So I want to start off by uh, talking about something that is very passionate in my life, Uh, every summer when I was growing up, my parents and I would take just a week and watch one of our favorite series. And we couldn't just watch the regular cut. No, we had to watch the extended cut. Because you all know, if you've really studied it well, Lord of the Rings, uh, there is such an amazing action, amazing dialogue, and just an amazing story that J.R.R. Tolkien put together. And as I grew up, and as I understood a little bit more about what he really wove into his writings, I started to understand more of the spiritual themes that he really baked in there. And one of the ones that we're going to be focusing on today is that of Lord Sauron's ring of power, as you can see above. The ring of power, to many, was a point of salvation, something that they thought they could use to overcome and conquer anything and shape the world as they wanted it. But because of the fact that it was baked in evil, that it was the main thing that would drive people to do unspeakable acts, many people started to realize that there was nothing that they could do with it other than look at it as evil. Timothy Keller talks about this when he says that the ring is like a psychic amplifier. All these people that tried to use the ring had good intentions. They wanted to set slaves free. They wanted to free their land from Lord Sauron. But the biggest problem was that the ring took their desire and magnified it to idolatrous proportions. Instead of wanting to just free slaves, it became the fact that they wanted to free everyone and then take over the world. The point was that these people that ended up using the ring ended up becoming so addicted with their idea That they ended up breaking alliances, destroying friendships, and going against the morals that they believed in, in order to accomplish their purpose. Idolatry in the church and in the world today is one of the most leading causes that drives people away from the Lord and keeps us from being fully used by Him. Before we go on any further, I want to just read our passage today. Open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 44, uh, starting in verse 6, and we're going to end in verse 23. So a little bit long of a passage, but we're going to break it down as fast as possible. (laughs) Starting in verse number 6, and it should be up on the screen here too. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. "'Besides me there is no God. "'Who is like me? "'Let him proclaim it. "'Let him declare it and set it before me. "'Since I appointed an ancient people, "'let them declare what is to come and what will happen. "'Fear not, nor be afraid. "'Have I not told you from of old and declared it? "'And you are my witnesses. "'Is there a God besides me? "'There is no rock. "'I know not any. "'All who fashion idols are nothing, "'and the things they delight in do not profit.' Their witnesses neither see nor know, as they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with a strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches the line and marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat and roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals and roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to give this to you. We want to give this sermon, we want to give our hearts, we want to give our focus and attention to you more than anything else. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today, that there would not be a single word out of my mouth that is from my own heart, but Lord, that it comes from your scripture, from your word, and that Lord, you would speak through me, and Lord, that you would open up all of our hearts, the message that you want preached today. Lord, we thank you, and Lord, I just pray especially that with the idols in our hearts, Lord, that not only you would reveal them, but Lord, that you would help us to confess them, or repent of them. Lord, we ask for all these things in your name, amen. The biggest thing I really want everyone to take away from today is that God deserves our worship because he alone is worthy of it. God deserves our worship because he alone is worthy of it. So as we really get into the text, I want to give just a small, brief bit of background for Isaiah. Isaiah was called to preach to the kingdom of Israel. At that time, the nation was split into two tribes in the south of Judah and ten tribes in the north of Israel. And that nation had many many kings that just led them to follow whatever gods they wanted, follow after whatever they wanted to do. So Isaiah was called to preach to them, to tell them about their sin and the judgment that was going to come which was the exile that happened when Assyria completely overwhelmed the nation and brought them into their land. The Israelites not only doubted God because of this, but they had always struggled with idol worship throughout their entire existence. And so that's going to bring us into our first point today. Idols are nothing and can do nothing. Idols are nothing and can do nothing. Instead of worshiping God, the Israelites made idols to worship themselves. So before we go on, we need to talk about a couple of terms. What is worship? Well, Worship, very, very simply, is that which you hunger and thirst after more than anything else. Essentially, worship controls what we worship controls our entire lives. And what we do with them. Everyone worships even unbelievers, because whatever we put in front of ourselves that we are obsessed on and that we focus in on, be it among anything else, is what we worship. So what is idolatry? Well, idolatry, defined by J. McMath, is that for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange, is the most important thing in my life. Whatever that is, is my God. I'll say it again, that for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange is my God. And so we see that Israel really struggled with this. That throughout all of their generations, there would always be a strong leader that would follow after the Lord, and then the next generation would fall away from the Lord and follow after their own things. And then the next leader would rise up, but then at that point, not only was Israel worshiping their household gods, but they were also worshiping God at the same time. And then eventually they left that worship and then just started following their household gods, setting up high places and fixating on the creation rather than the creator. Psalm so on 115, 4-8 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. When people make idols, when people make gods, it's that they trust in their own creation, as I said, rather than the creator. They put confidence in themselves and in the fact that they can make their own gods that are supposed to deliver them over the God. And so, very simply, idols are cheap imitations of God, as you can clearly see in this text. As you're looking into this narrative, there's a lot to unpack and go over, but from verse 12 to 17 you can kind of see that there's uh, an interesting outline of how idols are really made. And as I was studying this, I noticed that there's a a little bit of an easier way to be able to read this text if you read it in reverse order. If you look at it as the Ironsmith was employed to put the metal furnishings, then, uh, before that, the craftsman laid the plans to make this idol, and then finally, at the beginning of the stage, the tree was built and cut down and the wood was set aside it makes a lot more sense. And on top of that, too, it was the point that Isaiah was trying to make. The foolishness that finishes the idol was also in the planning stages of the idol, which was especially when the idol was chosen and set aside in the first place. And so with that, I just want to talk through verses 12 through 17 to really dive into the foolishness and chaos of idol worship. So first off, we see that there is this ironsmith Now, this ironsmith uh, is essentially there to furnish this idol, to make it look majestic with metal. But notice, he has no power to make the coals hotter. He has no power to make the right time for the coals to be able to shape the metal to make the idol. He also needs sustenance. He also needs food and water. This strong man that the text says is nothing but a weak human what God needs to trust in a weak human in order to be made. Also, it says that the craftsman needs uh, planned meticulously every single aspect of this idol. And the epitome of this beauty was the beauty of a human being to dwell in a temple. So not only is this craftsman limited in his knowledge of what is the most beautiful and amazing thing there is, but also, more than anything else, if he makes one mistake in his calculations... He could deform the God. This God is no, has no power nor will ever have any power when it has to rely on humanity to make it. Amen. On top of this too, we see at the beginning stages, this craftsman goes into the wild and finds this just birthed little cedar that it could become a great tree. And so he decides that he is going to make a God out of this and sustain and nourish it. So The very materials that this God needs has to be sustained by the Lord through the the soil that comes from the ground and the rain that comes from, from above and this man to be able to let it to grow. Out of the epitome of all this folly, we see that this idol is chopped down and is separated into a block of wood and for fire to cook meat and wheat on. The very materials that this God is based in is combustible. It's crazy, church. How do people worship these things? And the reality is, when we see it, it's, the craftsman really keys us into why he worships it. When he says, uh, right, and I believe in verse 17, uh, actually in verse 16 it says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. A better translation of this is I have seen the light. So this man attributes Godhood to this piece of wood because of the fact that he was warmed by fire. Also, he then bows down to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. Church, Habakkuk 2.18 says, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. We know very, very well that this is deception in its finest form, leading people away from the Lord and into the pits of hell. Idol makers and worshipers are deceived. It talks about in verses 18 through 20. 2 Corinthians 4.4 talks about the fact that Satan has blinded the hearts of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. Romans 1 also talks about the fact that because these people did not acknowledge God as God, he let them go and do whatever they wanted. And so because of that, they not only celebrated in their sin, but encouraged others to do it as well. Their problem point wasn't it when they decided to make the idol, it was when they decided to not honor God as God. This is why these idols are an abomination, not just because they go against God's created order, but also because of the fact That it's leading people to the pits of hell, not able to know or be able to believe in the Lord. Also, H.C. Leopold, as I was studying this, brought a very important line uh, to light. In verse 20, it says, uh, as God is talking about this, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Now, a more uh, direct translation of that would be uh, that the Israelites considered the right hand a position of honor. And so what this verse is literally saying is they were honoring a lie. And so I want you all to do an exercise with me. This may hurt a little bit. I want you all to take out your phones, and I want you to hold them in your right hand. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. (laughs) And I want you to repeat after me. Is there not a lie in my right hand? Ready? One, two, three. Is there not a lie in my right hand? Now, for those who know where I work, I know that it sounds crazy, but the reality is that this thing isn't an idol in and of itself, but what we attribute to it, what we put our emphasis, our focus in, makes it an idol in our lives. We can use this device to read the Bible, to save our prayers and pray for others. We can memorize scripture with these devices. But yet what we typically do is we spend hours on social media. We spend hours binge-watching Netflix. We spend hours trying to destroy our opponents in chess or any mobile game, Words with Friends, you name it. The reality is, and I'll say once again, these things are not made to be idols, but we make them idols when we attribute the most value to them. And so as we're talking about this, we need to realize and put a very specific focus on what our idols look like and we can idolize something as simple as food make it something so high above everything else that you start judging other restaurants by the other the more the best restaurants you've ever been at you can also idolize as i said before entertainment i struggle a lot with this in how many hours i've spent whether watching youtube videos whether it's listening to uh, music or podcasts, if you put too much focus into what you do on a regular basis and say, I need this in order to feel comfort and relaxation, then you've made it an idol. Also, our health. I know this is a very hard topic for us to talk about this year, but literally, as you've heard <laughs> headlines all over the world that COVID is about to destroy us in every single shape, wave, and form, It is something that we can idolize when we fear these things and this virus more than we trust in our God. And finally, if we're talking about it, especially money, sustaining ourselves financially uh, and making sure that not only have enough money to live, but also that we have enough money to do the things we want and then pay for the extremely high phone bill or pay for all the subscriptions that we have. We can idolize any one of these things by putting more focus on it than God. So this leads us right into our second point and what is really the main point of this message. God is so much greater. God is so much greater than anything we could ever ask or think. In verses six through eight, it talks about uh, a couple of titles of God. I really want to focus in and explore these titles. First and foremost, we see in verse six that it talks about the fact that God is the Lord of hosts. So what does that mean? Well, the Lord of hosts essentially means the God of angel armies. God is in complete control of everything because he is all powerful. There is nothing that can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God, not only made, but continues to sustain all creation. If you've been able to get out into the countryside, which I absolutely love about Pennsylvania, by the way, I, was, I lived in Massachusetts for years, never saw the stars until I came here. But when you look at the stars, much like my shirt, uh, it is such a beautiful sight to know that God has intricately woven every single aspect, every single burning ball of gas and light so that we can marvel at his beauty and creation. He has also created trees and the intricate cells that make up those trees. He has made us literally human flesh bags that somehow can walk and do things that no one would ever imagine. If you just look at the anatomy of an eye, you can know that we are created by an amazing, powerful God. And as... I'm going to get emotional, as I already have been today. Uh, As my wife has reminded me, the smile of a little girl, and just how beautiful that is, and how much it can just change your world with just that look. All right, let's get that back. Uh, The reality is, is that God knows and is in control of everything from beginning to end. And there's nothing that can ever stop him. So not only is he truly sovereign over us, not only is he fully powerful, but also he is the first and the last. In verse 6, it says, I am the first and the last. He knows all because he's been in every part of time in all creation. He knows not only all of that, but he also knows us intricately. In Psalm 139, it also says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows us, has guided us throughout the years, given us our passions and desires that we have wanted and hoped for. He knows every thought that we have, even the ones that we are afraid to share because of the sin that still lurks in our hearts. And he knows our struggles, our pains, our doubts. But yet he loves us through all of them. That is why God calls us not to fear. Because finally in verse number 8, it says that there is no rock besides him. There is no rock other than God. He is the firm foundation, the stronghold we can run to no matter what chaotic thing that happens in our life, no matter when we are feeling depressed, no matter when we are struggling, we know we can run to him and him alone. In Psalm 62, 1 through 2, it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress I shall not be greatly shaken. When we are feeling discouraged, when we are feeling overwhelmed, we, when we are broken in need of a healer, and when we are confronted with the gravity of our sin and our idolatry, we have a rock that we can run to. That is why it's, we can cry out just like David did in Psalm 61 when he says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you, When my heart is faint. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against my enemy. God is so much better. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. He is our strong rock that we can run to. And so why would we choose anything other than him? So church, if you're like me, when I was confronted with this as I was studying, what do we do? about this. How do we confront the idols in our lives? Well, thankfully, God gives us a whole pattern we can follow after in verses 21 to 23. And this leads us perfectly into our last point. God's glory is shown through his gospel and his grace. The first thing we need to talk about is the fact that God calls us to remember. Let's read verse 21 together. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Remember what God has done for us. Remember what Jesus had to go through so that we could have salvation. Remember that he died on a cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Remember that we have new life in him. Remember that we have a choice to be able to follow after him. Before we had none, but now we do. Remember the goodness of God. Also, it doesn't say it specifically in here, but as we've been talking in our church about this, we talk about the need to confess. Confess the sins, confess the idols that God shows you in your life and give them to him. I will fully admit, uh, when I was going to the Word of Life Bible Institute back in 2013 at the beginning of my year, Uh, and I studied Old Testament passages and learned about the Israelites and just all the things they went through, all I could think of when I started was how stupid could the Israelites be? I mean, you probably all thought it too. Literally, they had a God who delivered them from plagues in Egypt, gave them 10 of them, literally led them by a cloud of fire and then a a tornado by day, and has delivered them miraculously from many, many different trials and tribulations. And yet the next generation would then walk completely away from God. How does that happen? The reality, though, is I kept studying Scripture and kept understanding and learning more about myself that I was confronted with this truth. I am just like Israel. We are just like Israel. Sure, we do not worship the idols of formal religion, but we idolize the very small things in our life and put more value on them than anything else. We try to find satisfaction in the things of this world where nothing will satisfy us other than God because he alone is worthy of our worship. And so as I had to confront my stubbornness and my pride, my idols of entertainment... I had to realize more than anything else that I had to confess them to the Lord and say, Lord, these things can never compare to you. I give them to you because you are more worthy of it. And that's why then God calls us in verse 22 to repent. In verse 22 it says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God calls us to repent of our sins, repent of our idol worship. And turn to him. The reality is, is that without God, the clouds of our sin, the heavy clouds of our big transgressions, and the mist clouds of the ones that we have gone through and do every day, like lying and such, they would keep us away from God. But because the sun and also the S-U-N sun gives us a direct path to him that we never had before. This is why the gospel is more important than just when we get saved. The gospel is the thing that sustains us from the beginning of our salvation to every single time we mess up and choose to follow something other than God. We need the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And because of that, we have new life in Christ. It's such a blessing, church, to know that we have a God that is not these idols of religion that neither speak nor can say anything, but we have a relationship with God and God alone. Whew. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transpasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And finally, God calls us to worship. Verse 23, it says, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Amen. This is why, when we are struggling with idols, we need to confess, repent, but we need to replace the things that we have taken off and put on the new man in Christ and do more than just take it all off, because eventually we'll be drawn back to the same passions that we once took off. When I'm on stage, uh, as you guys can have seen many a times, I've closed my eyes, probably for two reasons. One, to make sure that the hot lights don't put the sweat right into my eyes and burn them. Um, but also when I am really connecting with the words that we're worshiping with and I'm able to transfer the head knowledge to heart and be able to worship, that's when everything fades away and the reality and power of our God shouts forth through my singing and hopefully in yours as well. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, idols fade away. And there's nothing that can stand in his place. So we've seen today all of the things here that idols are nothing and are worth nothing, that God is so much better, and then finally that God's grace is more better than we could ever imagine. So I want to conclude with a couple last points. Idolatry is motivated by selfishness and pride. How many times have you said this? It's my time. I deserve this. I want this. It's only by humbly submitting to God and giving your idols to Him that we will ever be effective as a church in this culture. So, what are your idols? Is it health? Is it politics? Is it fear of losing your job? Is it social media? Is it your significant other? Is it gluttony or the love of food? Is it alcohol? Is it entertainment in general? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If God is calling you to forsake the idols in your heart and life, don't ignore it. Talk with him, talk with one of us, I guarantee you, any one of the pastors would love to be able to talk with you, to be able to work on these things together and give God the glory because this is the only way we will ever be able to work on this church together. Dan talked about it in the last message. It's not that we grow on our own. We have to grow together socially and together spiritually. I just want to read one last thing to kind of conclude this. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I go to church on Sunday. You could read on from there. But the task lender, standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Idolatry, once again, is all rooted in pride, and the only way that we can combat that pride is through true humility. Humility is the key to worshiping God. And we humble ourselves by confessing our idols, repenting of our sins, and worshiping our God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Choose today who you will serve. Let's pray. God, I... You are so good. There is nothing that can compare to you, Lord. Lord, I just pray more than anything right now that we would, you would show us the idols in our lives for if we don't know what they are, Lord, you tell us that we can ask you for any wisdom and that you would grant that to us. And Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts, that Lord, as a church, we would be convicted together to see what is wrong in our hearts and lives, that we would confess it and give it to you, Lord. For you alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy of our praise, And I pray right now that our hearts would humbly submit to you, knowing that we do not deserve anything, anything at all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gospel. And Lord, may we not just try to live on an island alone. But Lord, may we bring our brothers and sisters along in this battle with us so that together we can fight these things in our lives. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask for all these things In the precious name of your son, Jesus, amen.